Good morning, everyone. Great, great. Uh, super excited to be here. It's always a privilege uh, to gather with God's people. And I say it, I say it every week, and I, maybe some of you might think uh, I just put it on repeat because it's the thing that I have to do, um, but I really do mean it. Uh, even when driving here, um, I like to just kind of listen to some music. Sometimes I pray, and I'm just reminded uh, that there are many brothers and sisters in various parts of the world who actually don't get to do this in the freedom that we do. Um, and so this is a huge act of grace. It's a massive privilege. And then just to, to gather and to be encouraged, to be encouraged in song, to be encouraged in prayer, to hear a good word. Um, it, it's just good for our souls. It's good for mine. And so uh, I'm very, very thankful. Uh, and then to bring God's word to you. Uh, there's no greater privilege uh, in a gathering like this for me uh, to unpack the scriptures and to, to seek to make them plain. Uh, for your encouragement and for your growth. Like Jono said, we are in uh, the book of Psalm 119. Um, we'll be in it for a while, but we're going to take it in bits and pieces. And so for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at uh, a few of the stanzas in Psalm 119. And so we'll just kind of continue uh, to navigate through this chapter. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, and quite an interesting chapter because uh, it's the Word of God talking about the Word of God. Um, and so I love the fact that, that God would say, look, I, I want to make it plain to you that the Word is important, and so I'm going to put it in the longest chapter in the Bible. Talking about um, the question of the day a little bit, uh, and some of you might find this interesting, um, the question is, uh, have you been made to do anything and it was good for you? Uh, I'm a little bit like... Nyla, in that I too am an introvert. Um, that is a true story. Uh, I'm a massive introvert. Um, and for the longest of time, hated public speaking, any form of public speaking. In fact, I was a prefect in high school, and uh, they would put you on rotation to stand up in front of the school. And literally, all you had to do was read the announcements. So this was given to you, and you would stand up in front of people and just go, okay, what does it say here? All right, guys, uh, this morning, uh, please make sure that all the grady lips, that's all you had to do. And I, I had such a huge fear of that, that I would trade all my kind of announcement slots with someone else so that I could do the gate duty. Um, and basically, that's just standing at the gate and making sure no one's late, and if they are, reporting them. Literally, that's what, because I had this massive fear of standing in front of people, until one day, after becoming a Christian, the guy that was kind of discipling me, uh, we had gathered to something similar like this, it was an evening event, um, and he comes to me and he says, uh, literally, it was like 10 seconds before this was ha about to happen, he comes and he says, hey, uh, would you quickly give your testimony? And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't, nah, nah, just go, just go do it, it'll be good, God will love it. Uh, well, if God will love it, then... Okay, cool, I'll do it. Um, and that kind of opened the door to where I am today. Um, so, so I'm thankful, thankful that he made me do it and thankful that God was in it. And so let that be a, a form of encouragement to you, um, that there are things that uh, we are made to do. Uh, they make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we push back against them, um, but they are for our good and actually for the good of others as well. All right. And so we'll see a little bit of that in our passage this morning. And that is God makes us do things. In fact, God does things to us. Uh, it'll be apparent in our text, and we will see that it's actually good for us. And so if you have your Bible, you can meet me in Psalm 119 from verse 33, and we'll read and work our way all the way until verse 40. Uh, like we do every week, I'm going to read it to you. 
Uh, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, um, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. So Psalm 119 from verse 33. Hear these words of our Father. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. Just that far. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it continues uh, to work in the hearts of people. Uh, It continues to transform them, uh, to make them more and more like you. And so, God, would you do that this morning through this passage? Would you make it plain to us? Lord, we want to see you for who you are, that in knowing you, we'll understand who we are. Uh, And so, God, would you guide us in this time? Uh, Give us a healthy understanding for your word. It is rich. Uh, It is covered in so much goodness, and and God, we need that goodness. Lord, I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. He whispers in our ears uh, deception and and lies. And so, God, I ask that you would keep him um, away from us, that you would protect us. Uh, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, um, that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, would we see you as our King and our Redeemer. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name, we pray. Amen. So as we navigate through this passage, you'll see that, that God intentionally does things. He He does things. In fact, the psalmist is aware of this. He's aware of the sovereignty of God. He's aware of who God is. And so he pleads with God to do certain things in and through his life. This is regarding the word of God. In fact, we're going to see four things, four things that the psalmist asks God to do. I believe these four things are things that we should ask God to do. And those things are to teach us to turn us, to remind us, and then to protect us. I'll give them to you again, to teach us, to turn us, to remind us, and then to protect us. But let's make them personal, all right? Let's make them personal for the sake of our time together. Let's start with the first one. The psalmist asks, he pleads to God to teach him, teach me. Verse 33 and 34, the burden here. The burden here is great. He he says in verse 33, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. The thrust of both these verses are the same. Teach me so that I will follow you. Give me understanding. I want for you to think here that the psalmist, right? Hear me, the psalmist, uh, his dependence upon the Lord. This is what I want you to see, his dependence upon the Lord to learn the word of God. He didn't say, I'm going to study hard so that I might know your word. 
He doesn't say, I'm going to devote an hour a day memorizing the scriptures. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are good things and they are things that we should do. But they must be. They must be anchored in utter dependence on God. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot. This is why the psalmist says, teach me. Oh, Lord, teach me. Because he understands that on his own, he will never do it. He'll try for a season. For a season, he'll wake up maybe in the morning and spend some time with God. But, but as life goes, we get caught up in so many different things. And then we find ourselves no longer going to God, but going to other things to find life and meaning. And so he understands that he needs to be dependent on God. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes. He says, help me understand your instruction. Help me understand your instruction. You see, spiritual truth is more than just mere intellectual exercise. It's more than that. We need the Lord to teach us his word. We need a a divine encounter if we are to understand the law of God. See, the Bible is a supernatural book. We we must believe this. It's not just an academic book. It's not just a a book filled with stories. No, no, no. It's a supernatural book. And so therefore, it requires supernatural help for us to navigate through it. This is why he cries out to the Lord. Teach me. Give me understanding. We need to cry out to the Lord. Every Every time I I prepare to to come before you, I I cry out to the Lord. Guys, you don't need my intellect. You don't need my wisdom. We need God's wisdom. We need God's guidance. We need Him to be the ultimate teacher. Because He's the one who gives understanding. And so the, the first thing that we see is that we should cry out to is that God, would you teach us? Teach us. When we come to your word, would you teach us? The second thing the psalmist cries out to the Lord for is to be moved. So not only teach, but would you move me? Would you turn me, as the passages say? Turn me. In verses 35 to 37, he writes, Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. This is a man who desperately wants the Lord to intervene in his life. Friends, I want you to see the desperation in these words. A man who desperately wants the Lord to intervene in his life to cause him to obey. This is the thrust of verse 35. Help me stay on your path Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. But this is also the thrust of verse 36 and 37. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. He says, keep me from selfish gain. That's basically what he's saying when he says, turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Keep me from selfish gain. And oh, how we love selfish gain. We'll come up with creative ways to to talk about it so that it doesn't come across as selfish gain, but in the end, it's just selfish gain. That for many of us, we're constantly just thinking about ourselves. How will this benefit me? How will this profit me? What about me? 
And so the psalmist goes, then I need the Lord to turn my heart. To turn my heart to your decrees, to your words. If not, then I will find myself lusting after the things of the world. Verse 37, he says, turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. And you see it again. He's crying out to the Lord. Would you do the work? Would you do the work that I cannot do on my own? So turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. And so in other words, God, move me. God, make me obey. God, keep my eyes and heart where they belong. And that is on you. My eyes and my heart belong to you. And so they should be anchored in you. We should fix our eyes to the author and perfecter of our faith. And that is Christ and Christ alone. Now this does not remove the psalmist's responsibility or our responsibility to obey the Lord. It doesn't. It doesn't remove that responsibility. It doesn't remove the responsibility of walking in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, that is honoring to the Lord. Because I know some of us might hear this and go, okay, cool, so I'm just going to chill and then he'll just do everything. No, it's as we turn our eyes and our hearts to him, as we gaze upon him, as we see God for who he is, the implication of that is that it, it, we then want to live a life that is honoring to him. And so if you work that in reverse, if you are not living a life that is honoring to him, it's probably because you're not gazing upon him. The psalmist doesn't remove his responsibility. He doesn't call us to remove our responsibility. See, as the psalmist fails, and I, I believe he recognizes that he is not a perfect person, and so he will fail. And so as the psalmist fails to walk in the path of God's commands, and as his eyes fall to the idols of this world, to education and money and relationships, good things, all of these things are good things. They become bad things when we want to replace them for God. And so when we turn our eyes and our hearts to the idols of this world, when we recognize that we live in a world of incredible brokenness, that many of our relationships will fail us, we don't try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Because that's what happens, at least for me, when, when life becomes chaotic. When I feel like I no longer have my hands on the steering wheel. I then go, oh my goodness, I failed God. And so the, the only way that I can please him is to try to do this on my own. To pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And that is not the way. When we recognize that we have fallen, we turn back to God. We do the very same thing. We turn our hearts and our eyes back to God. We don't try to figure it out on our own. We turn to Him again. And so the psalmist tells us, he says to us, that we should cry out to God to teach us. That we should cry out to God to turn us, to move us. 
Then he also says that we should cry out to God to remind us. Remind me. We see this in verse 38 where he writes, Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence in you. This verse describes a request for God to move the heart and to give it a godly perspective. Again, I want you to sense how the psalmist seeks the Lord to come into his life, to change his mindset so that he can see God for who he is, who he truly is. Because when he does that, when, when we see God for who he truly is, we get to understand who we truly are. To walk in the ways of the Lord, you must know who you are. Friends, I believe we have a massive identity crisis. Because we've forgotten who we are. And so the psalmist says that we need to be reminded. We need to come to God so that he would remind us. How does he do that? Here, in his word. And he does it over and over and over again. And we are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. We need to be reminded over and over and over again. And so this is why he says, confirm what you said to your servant. Remind me. Take me back. Open up the word. If we are to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God, we must have a godly perspective, the right perspective of who he is so that we might understand who we are. Another way to say it is to know who you are, you must know whose you are. I think it's bad grammar, but it's great theology. If you want to know who you are, you must know whose you are. That you belong to God. That you're a child of God. That you are loved more than you could ever imagine. That there is nothing, nothing, nothing that will separate you from the love of God. And so we look to the heavens and we ask him to remind us, to confirm, to confirm what he has said to us. That his grace is sufficient. Confirm, O oh Lord. Say it again. Put it on repeat. So teach us. Teach us, O oh Lord. Move us. Remind us. And the last thing that the psalmist wants us to know, the last thing that he cries out to the Lord for, he asks for the Lord's protection. He then says, protect me. Protect me. Verses 39 to 40. Protect me from those who would harm me. Or, or want to, to harm my character or, or, or say bad things about who I am. Protect me, O oh Lord. But also protect me from myself. Protect me from myself, from my own sin. My own sin that, that brings a, a deadness, a unresponsiveness of the heart. I don't know if you've ever been there or you've ever had these kinds of moments where, where it just, it just, feels like, like life is on neutral. That there's a deadness to my heart. That that love and that passion for God is just no longer there. 
Like, I feel like I'm in a season where I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. Nothing moves me anymore. Showing up to the gathering just, just no longer moves me anymore. Praying just no longer moves me anymore. And so what we do, we think that maybe I should just go check out and find something else that will move me. And those things never will. They never will. We need to be protected from our own hearts. He says in verse 39, Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. Indeed, your judgments are good. The writer of the psalm knew what it was like to face reproach from others. He knew what it was like. In fact, he, he says it over and over again in Psalm 119 in verse 23. He spoke of how the princes would sit together and speak against him. In verse 51, he, he spoke of how the arrogant constantly ridicule him. In verse 69, he talks about how the arrogant have smeared lies about him. Verse 78, the slander that comes from others. Verse 85, the arrogant have dug pits for him. Verse 86, they have persecuted him with lies. Verse 95, the wicked hope to destroy him. Verse 1110, the wicked have set a trap for him. And verse 161, the princes have persecuted him without cause. He understands a life where he is constantly persecuted. And so because of that, he asks for the Lord's protection. You need the Lord's protection. We need the Lord's protection, especially in the context that we live in, where, where, where folks are just becoming more and more hostile to the word of God. And so we will be ridiculed. We will be persecuted. This is already happening in various parts of the world. Oh, you're a Christian? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would you want to get married? Why, why would you want to handle money that way? Why, why would you want to handle relationships that way? Why would you want to forgive? And so we need the Lord's protection. Who's going to protect us? The Lord will protect us. The psalmist here in verse 39 is requesting that the Lord would actively work in his life so that he would not seek vengeance or trade insult for insult. Again, this is something that this context in our culture does. But he cries out to the Lord so that he would not do that. Why? Because he understands his heart. He knows that left alone, this is what he would do. Let me keep it real. Left alone, I'm talking about me, I would love to trade insult for insult. I'm just keeping it real. If you want to come at me, left alone, I'm going to come at you. But the psalmist says, no. That is not the way for those who are children of God. That we look to the Lord and we ask Him to protect us. In fact, Christ understood this. He was both our example and our power. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, When we are when he was insulted, referring to Christ, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but 
entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That is what we are to do. And if you're going to be honest here this morning, you would say that is incredibly difficult. In fact, some of you might say, well, you have no idea the kinds of people I work with. You have no idea who my neighbor is. If you knew, Oney, you wouldn't be saying that. You'd be with me throwing eggs. But the word of God says otherwise. We look to Christ because he didn't. But rather he looked to his father. He looked to his father for protection. Because it's the Lord who judges justly. And so we are to do the same. And because we recognize it's difficult, we cry out to the Lord and ask him to do it. We ask him to do it by his power. And so like Jesus, the psalmist looks to God the Father to be the one who actively protects him, and so should we. The reason for this has to do with the goodness of God's word. The reason that we can navigate through the insults and navigate through the suffering and persecution is because we believe that God's word is good. That we can hold on to it regardless of what people say about us. In fact, it says here, indeed your judgments are good. That as he is slandered and persecuted and falsely accused, he recognizes that it's all an attempt to make God's work in his life look bad. And any attempt to bring down God's servants, God's children, is ultimately an attempt to bring God down. That's the attempt. So the psalmist says, turn away the disgrace I dread. He he cries out, protect me. Protect me from them. Protect me from myself. He says in verse 40, give me life through your righteousness. Give me life through your righteousness. This is a request to stir his heart through the righteousness of God. That's what he's asking for. He's asking that the the righteousness of God would, would be stirred in his heart. And as that happens, he's keeping his eyes on God the Father. The psalmist knows his weaknesses. He knows his imperfections. He knows he is in desperate need of God. And so he pleads that God would be the one who would stir his heart. That God would be the one who gives him life. And this comes through his righteousness. I love this. It's a, it's a great opportunity to, to talk again about the gospel. When talking about the righteousness of God, we, we get to talk about the gospel. It's a great opportunity to do so. Because think about it. How, how does God make us alive in Christ? Through his righteousness. How does God bring us to himself? Through his righteousness. How do we overcome sin? Through his righteousness. How do we hope? How do we stand and hope for his ultimate return? To restore all things through his righteousness. To be right before God. To be able to stand before him without blame and without sin. This is simply because of the work of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. Because the tomb is empty. Because even right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. Praying for us. It's through His righteousness. And it's the righteousness of Christ that cleanses our consciousness 
and gives us life before the Lord. And so like the psalmists, we too anchor ourselves in this righteousness. We should anchor ourselves in the righteousness of God. And so Lord, would you teach us? Would you turn us? Would you remind us? Would you protect us? These are things that God does to us. These are things that God does to us. I I love this portion of scripture because it reminds me of Psalm 23. A passage that if you've been a Christian for a while that you'd be familiar with. And sometimes when we read it, I think we get lost in it. We get lost in the, the reality and the beautiful truth that it's God who does the work. Psalm 23, written by King David, a king at that point. But he uses the analogy of a shepherd and sheep. He goes back to his life before he was a king. He simplifies things and he goes, listen, to to understand my relationship with God the Father, it's like when I was a shepherd. Because I remember when, when I was a shepherd, I was the one doing everything. And who was benefiting? The sheep. And so it mirrors Psalm 23 so beautifully. And so I'm just going to walk us through it really, really quickly. Really, really quickly to to show you that it's God who does the work. If we're going to ask Him to teach us, if we're going to ask Him to move us, to turn us, if we're going to ask Him to remind us, if if we're going to ask Him to protect us, we have to sit and acknowledge that He's the one that does the work and we benefit from it. And so Psalm 23 goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes a declaration. And so upon this declaration, we see everything else. The Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, then I I don't want anything else. I want him. But notice what the Lord does upon that declaration. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes. He leads me beside still waters. He leads. He restores my soul. He restores. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's him doing the work and us benefiting. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is ridiculous because for many of us, we go, God, would you remove my enemies? That's how we understand protection. And so God says, no, I'm going to protect you. Let me show you. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That should change the way we pray. And so when we say, God, protect me, it's a full understanding that my enemies will still be here. They will still ridicule me. They will still persecute me. They will still insult me. But he has prepared a table for me. And so he will protect me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He refreshes us. Verse 6, Then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I, I saw this for the first time when I was preparing this message. Notice here, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, shall follow me. 
Whereas we live in a context where we're going, I need to pursue goodness and mercy. It's only when we look to God and, and, and we say, God, we want to anchor ourselves in you because it's you who does the work. We're going to pursue you, God. Naturally, then goodness and mercy goes, well, we want to be where God is. And so if you are a child of God, anchored in God, acknowledging that it's him who does the work, then pursue God. Fix your eyes on God. Turn your eyes and your heart to God. And then what will goodness and mercy do? They'll follow you because they're following God. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell. I will rest. I will remain. I will abide. That's all I do. That's all we do. We dwell. We rest in His presence. Because we acknowledge that it's Him who does the work. It's him who does the work. Oh, how I hope that this would cause some of you to go, this is so refreshing. Because I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm just constantly running and chasing and trying to fix and, and trying to make sure this is okay and this is perfect and this is happening when I should just be dwelling. To dwell in the presence of the Lord. I thought about this in a land the plane here. Um, this morning I woke up and I was just thinking about the sermon and I was like, well, what does it look like to dwell in the presence of the Lord? Acknowledging that it's Him who does the work. I'm due for an upgrade uh, on my phone. I've currently got the iPhone 6. Um, I really need the upgrade. I'm thinking about getting the iPhone 8, but the iPhone 10, they call it the iPhone X, is the one that's uh, got my attention. And, and, but what's interesting about the iPhone X is, is, is how you charge it. Cause we know everything about chargers. Guys, you, you go into any context, whether it's at the office or, or you're hanging out with your friends, people are like, it doesn't take long before someone's like, oh man, you got an iPhone charger. It's like, well, drug addicts, it's like, do you, do you have an iPhone? Do you have a charger for me, bro? Please. Do you like, do you, need, do you have a charger? Do you have a charger for me? And it's like we all know it because all of a sudden everyone's like, yo, hey, you have a charger for this guy. Does anyone have a charger? Where's the charger? See, because we're, we're, we're like iPhones. It doesn't take too long before you need to be charged again. God is the one who charges us. But the iPhone 10 has this mechanism where you don't need a cable anymore. It comes with this plate, and, and literally you just take the phone and you put it on the plate, and it just charges wirelessly. And so all the iPhone does is it just rests. <laughs> y'all see that? It, 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 just, it just rests. I don't, I don't need cables. I don't need, I don't need to pack one, but no, just rest. And be charged, be refueled, be refreshed. We just need to rest. To rest in His Word. Because His Word is good. His judgments are good. And as we rest, He does the work. 
And so you'll become that man and woman of faith where people will look to you and be like, I don't understand. How, how are you able to, to be so chilled and so relaxed and, and to operate with such peace when all of life is just chaos? Well, it's because I'm just resting. And I'm letting my father do the work. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I don't need anything else. That's the goodness of God's word. Let's pray. And so God, we, we come now asking that we would, we would be like the psalmist. That we would anchor ourselves in you. That we would recognize that it's you who does the work. That we cannot save ourselves. That for many of us, before coming to Christ, we, we thought we had to do all these different things. Only if I, if I clean up my life, if I clean up my act, if I get my things in order, then I'll come to Christ and then, and then he'll save me. Salvation does not work that way. We simply come to you with our hands open, our hearts open, ready to receive from you. Because God, it's you who does the work. And so God, I'm asking that for those who are maybe in a season where it just feels chaotic, it feels like so much is happening, especially at this time of the year, would you cause us, because left to our own, we will not do it. And would you cause us to come to you and to rest in you, to rest in your word. So teach us, God. Turn us, God. Remind us protect us because we are your sheep and you are our shepherd and on that declaration we need nothing else but you we ask all of this in Jesus' beautiful name Amen God is indeed good and so we invite you to stand as we respond to that message and sing of his goodness
And I believe the perfect way to close our gathering is in response to this. We close every gathering with a benediction. And a benediction is a blessing from God that is poured over us. It's a, it's a good word. It's to close with a good word. A word that would encourage us. A word that would remind us. A word that would teach us. A word that would send us out here with boldness. Ready to do all that God has called us to do. Without fear. Ready to navigate through whatever challenges you're going to experience. You know them. They keep you up at night. You know what you're going to face this week. You know what awaits you. But we want to respond to God's goodness. And I believe uh, the best way this morning is to read Psalm 23. And for some of you, you might be reading it with new eyes. Maybe for some, it's just to be reminded again. But He is a good Father. He is the Good Shepherd. That He loves us. That He will protect us. That He will guide us. And that all we are called to do is to dwell in His presence. That the Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way that we would, we would only but dwell in His presence. And so I'm going to ask for us to read Psalm 23 together, corporately. Because we are a family. That we're designed for fellowship. We're designed for community. And so we'll respond in community. And so I'm going to ask that you take the hand of the person next to you. Nothing powerful or magical about this, but it's again what it communicates. It reminds us that God is our Father and we are His children. And so we're just going to, we're going to read it out loud. And read it together. And respond to God as our shepherd and as our father. I'll start us off and we'll just keep going. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, Father, we pray that this would be our reality, that this would be our truth, that we would wake up every morning just wanting to dwell in your presence, that we would go about our day just wanting to dwell in your presence, that we would go to bed wanting to dwell in your presence. Good Father, we love you, we praise you, and would you remind us of our desperate need for you. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are holding on to fear and to guilt and to shame, maybe to anger and bitterness. I pray for those who are pursuing different things, hoping to find life and meaning in them. 
God, would you give them peace and comfort now? Would they feel comfortable enough to release those things, realizing they will not give them what you and only you can give? And that is life to the full. I pray for those who are hurting in our context. Whether it's relationships, whether it's in marriage. Maybe we're hurting because we have no idea what is in store for us. We're anxious about what lies ahead. The unknown future. Would you release us of those things so that we might dwell in your presence? And even if it means dwelling in your presence with tears and with doubt, that does not make you uncomfortable, God. Because you work through those things. And so help us to boldly approach the throne of grace, knowing that he who is seated on it is a good father, is a good shepherd, is a good friend, and loves us more than we could ever imagine. We ask all of this in Jesus' beautiful name, and all of God's children's name. Amen, amen, and amen. Folks, if you want to talk to someone, if you want to pray with someone, there'll be a few up front doing so. Otherwise, go in grace and peace. Thank you.